football season is never over. The Ringer NFL Show has got all your football needs covered from free agency to the draft and so much more. Check out The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Coming up on New York, New York, it's going to be a wacky show. The Mets will rain out. The Yankees continue to stink. Hopefully that'll change against the Rays this weekend. And how the New York Knicks are actually making me feel really, really good. We got Charles Davis. We got Kaz Famiude. We got Ariel Epstein on all the gambling props for the NFL draft. Plus a ton of listener voicemails. Where else would you rather be? New York, New York, coming up next. Roll, baby. Episode six. Can't believe it. Episode six of New York, New York. Welcome in. This is JJ John Zestremski. And I have to admit, today's going to have a little bit of a wacky vibe to the show as a whole. And I think it's going to have a wacky vibe for a couple of different reasons. One, the weather in New York City here on Thursday is just absolutely miserable. So no Yankees tonight. They're off. Mets were postponed. I roll out of bed this morning to go get my Starbucks coffee. And who is basically waiting for me at my front steps? The head coach of the Brooklyn Nets and his son. So, you know, I had to kind of like play cool. It's like Steve Nash is there. I'm not going to make a fool of myself and embarrass myself, but I'm also going to introduce myself at the same time as we're wearing masks and it's super awkward. But yeah, if you're getting the drift, folks, it's going to have a wacky vibe with your voicemails and with me. I'm kind of on a crazier wavelength than usual. And that's saying something. For anybody who knows me, that's saying something. Now, as we get down to business, you know what has put me in a very good mood and has countered the awful, pathetic, putrid stuff for the New York Yankees? It continues to be the feel-good season of the last, I don't know, 15 years. I know 2012, 2013, the Knicks were great and they won 54 games, but they were ascending at that point. This year, in many ways, has kind of come out of nowhere for Leon Rose, for this new brain trust, the great Tom Thibodeau as the head coach. 
And I am feeling the positive vibes. And I am definitely in good spirits over the fact that the New York Knickerbockers, folks, I can say it now. I don't feel like I'm jinxing it. I don't feel like I'm putting the cart before the horse. I can say this with confidence. The New York Knickerbockers are going to be a playoff team this year. And I know that means very little in the grand scheme of things for NBA people out there. And I know there would probably be a whole lot of people listening to this from other markets mocking me and mocking us as New Yorkers for celebrating the fact that the Knicks are going to be a playoff team. But you got to kind of crawl before you can walk. And guess what? As easy as it may be to make the playoffs now, and it is not that difficult to make the playoffs. The Knicks have pushed the limit on that. Because since that 2012-2013 season, they have not had a winning season. They have not made the postseason. Let that sink in for a minute. It's 2021 right now. 2013, what were you doing in 2013? Just think about where your life was. Think about what you were doing in your career and this and that. I mean, 2013, I was not dating in the playoff run my fiance, Caitlin. I had just started, I think I was like two years into my gig over at WFN. I was baby-faced, I buzzed my hair. It was a long time ago. That's what I'm getting at. Hallelujah. Thank heavens. There will be a semblance of playoff basketball at the world's most famous arena. And listen, we can talk about players till the cows come home. The number one reason, in my opinion, the Knicks are playing in the postseason this year is their head coach. It's their head coach. Because this is a franchise that has been lost its sea for a long time. And basically what you had here is that Tom Thibodeau came in and said, I'm sick and tired of that crap. I'm sick and tired of this losing persona, this losing culture that's kind of permeating around the franchise. And I'm going to do something about it. You're going to represent the city, the fan base, the right way. You're going to play the game the right way. That's why this narrative that Tom Thibodeau runs players into the ground. <laughs> Who cares if Nick players over the last seven years were running to the ground? They stunk. You would hit this time of the year and the games would be unwatchable. Not with this group. And I saw this graphic on the MSG broadcast last night after their win over Zion and the New Orleans Pelicans. And it's basically a picture I don't know if you've seen it. I'll probably post it on my Instagram in case anybody's wondering. It's Tom Thibodeau with like this shit-eating grin on his face and a graphic of the Knicks defense this year. Opponent's points, first in the NBA. Opponent's field goal percentage, first in the NBA. Opponent's three-point shooting percentage, first in the NBA. And their defensive rating is third overall. Tom Thibodeau has come in and has said, we're going to get after it. We're going to compete on the defensive end. I love it. And I'm not delusional with this team. I know what they are. I understand there is a limit for what they're going to achieve in the postseason. Because the NBA, more so than even the other sports, but especially the NBA, it's a talent-driven league. And if you're going to advance and play deep in the postseason, you have to have a boatload of talent. The Knicks don't have enough talent. But they're over the 500 mark. They've won four games in a row for the first time all year. And they're easy to root for. How do you not root for Julius Randle? How do you not root for R.J. Barrett? 
How do you not root for Emmanuel quickly or Alec Burks? This is a very likable team. And on Wednesday night, it was Derek Rochelle. And I was concerned at first when the Knicks brought in D. Rose. Not that I didn't think he'd be a great veteran presence or that he wouldn't be able to teach what Tibbs is looking to bring to the table. I just said, oh, man, is this going to cut into Quickly's playing time? And it hasn't. Derek Rose has a nice little niche on this team. They're fun. I sit down and watch them night in and night out, especially in this NBA year. And I understand the frustrations of players trying to cram in a certain amount of games in a small amount of space, but nobody plays. I mean, the net six a game last night was an absolute abomination. It was an abomination. For that to be one and two in the Eastern Conference and to get like the F-list Brooklyn Nets, that sucked. I'm sorry, it sucked. That was not a game that I was juiced up and jazzed up to watch because what am I going to learn? What am I going to know? What am I going to figure out? Stunk. And I'd love to see that matchup in the Eastern Conference Finals. I like Daryl Morey a lot. It'd be interesting and it would have a fun dynamic to, dare I say, get Brooklyn involved deep in the playoffs. Hopefully the next time I see those teams playing, it's like a brawl out seven-game series where there's actually some blood and guts on the court and not uh, guys sitting out. And obviously we send our best to LaMarcus Aldridge, who had a legitimate reason for sitting out as his NBA career is coming to a close. Hope everything's A-OK with LA. Now, the Knicks are a feel-good story. I'm excited for the postseason. On the other hand, I'm not all too excited about the Yankee weekend coming up. And I had to do an emergency pod yesterday because I felt like I just needed to get some things off of my chest. You know, sometimes that can be therapeutic in a way. It was very therapeutic of me to just come on and let it rip for 15 minutes. And get on the Yankees for the fact that they're three and six against the Rays and the Blue Jays. Well, this weekend, the Yankees will once again host the Tampa Bay Rays. They got to find a way to beat this team. I don't know how many times I need to say it. The Yankees need to find a way to beat the Rays. Enough! You want to be the best team in the American League? Go, go give me a winning series. Can somebody other than Garrett Cole step up? And they're going to do a bullpen day on Friday. It'll be Montgomery on Saturday, who has balls. I'll give him that. He has balls because he had nothing on Sunday, and he grinded his way through and gave his team a chance to win. And I told you, he was going to win the second most amount of games in this rotation. I feel good about that take at this point in time. And then you got Cole Sunday. So you expect to win the Cole start. Now, you're also going to face Glassdown, which is problematic because Glassdown right now is striking everybody out. And with the way the Yankee lineup has been swinging the bats, watch, Glassdown is probably going to go and strike out like 15 guys. So it'll be a bullpen day on Friday, Montgomery Saturday, Cole Sunday. Go win two out of three. The Yankees have looked sloppy. They have not played with a sense of urgency. And look, it is two weeks into the year. I understand they're going to get hot, they're going to score runs, and they're going to play better. But I'm also alarmed and concerned that this is not a team that's going to be a runaway freight train to go and win the American League East. And thankfully, the Red Sox lost the game. I mean, I don't know how many texts I can take from Simmons and my Syracuse Red Sox group. I mean, they are just, they are beyond out of control two weeks into the year. I can't take it. For anybody who has Red Sox fans in their life, I can't take it. So for Adovino to blow a game on Thursday afternoon, that was, that was much needed. Thank you, Minnesota Twins. Thank you. Because the giddiness from the Boston folk, ugh. 
Makes me want to throw up. It's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. As for the Mets, you hope and pray that they're going to play in Colorado this weekend. I mean, the Mets have had terrible luck with the weather. Think about it. They get rained out Thursday. They got rained out on Sunday with Stroman. They had their first three games bagged against Washington because of what went on with COVID. It's been a very uneven start for the Mets, and now they're starting to get hot. Stroman was great. Walker was great. You got the Grom on the mound. You wanted to play this game. You want to go and beat the Philadelphia Phillies. Colorado, you know weird shit happens at Coors Field. Those going to be some 8-6, type of games. Just hope that the Mets find a way to play. Honestly, that's my big takeaway going into the weekend. That, and you better find a way to score some runs for Jacob DeGrom. That's what I'm going to be watching for this weekend. So we got a jam-packed show for you. And we have a lot of voicemails to get to. We have one right out of the gate. So fire away. Hey, JJ, it's Bill from L.A. Used to be from Boston. Just wanted to thank you for what you did. The Red Sox won nine straight games and then finally lost just because a Yankee lost the game for them, which is a surprise. That's the 21th year that the Yankees lose. Thank you for launching this pod. It's awesome to have it on the Ringer Podcast Network. I don't have a question. Well, thank you, Bill, from L.A. Uh, I have to be honest. As much as I root for you and I like you and I've always been a big fan of yours and now you have supported New York, New York in more ways than one, if the Red Sox have a big summer here, I think I'm turning the phone on mute. I think I'm going into a witness protection program. And the Red Sox were undefeated until Thursday since the launch of New York, New York. So I think deep down, Bill from L.A. had ulterior motives of launching this podcast, aside from just supporting me and the city of New York and giving you guys a new platform to, you know, listen in, vent, all that good stuff. I think... Bill from L.A. was trying to get his beloved Boston Red Sox going. And hopefully, Thursday will be the start of the demise. Because I cannot have a juiced-up Red Sox nation in my ear ruining all the good vibes to this podcast. Can't have it. We are now two weeks out from the NFL draft. That's hard to believe. So my dude Charles Davis from CBS Sports and the NFL Network, one of my all-time favorites, is going to Chime in. Give us some draft perspective. We'll have the legend that my former colleague over at SNY, Kaz Famuide, from the MSG Network and Ringer and MSG WWE fame. He's going to share some Nick giddiness. He's always giddy about the Knicks. He's probably going to take it to another level. We'll have Ariel Epstein on some draft props. She's one of my favorites over at SportsGrid. And you notice that's the common theme. A lot of favorites joining the show. I have a lot of people. What can I tell you? I have a lot of friends. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I do. It's nice. And they all want to come on the show. So that's half the battle. Jam-packed New York, New York. And of course, we have listener voicemails and I expect them to get wacky. What else is new? It's New York, New York presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Charles Davis coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment. So it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, 
you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. We're going to welcome in one of my favorite guests all time, the JJ After Dark. And now that we have made this transition to New York, New York, it only seems right to welcome in from the NFL on CBS and the NFL Network. I think he's one of the best in the business. My dude, the great Charles Davis. What's happening, CD? JJ, thank you so much. And, and as a favor to you and anyone who is listening or watching, I will not sing New York, New York. I certainly hope that you have guests that have the pipes and the, and the chops to do it because it's one of the all-time great classics and standards. But congratulations to you. Very happy for you in this platform. Uh, you're going to kill it as you always have before. So it's wonderful to be back with you. CD, that means the world to me. And listen, you're a guy who has now taken on a new gig. You went from Fox to CBS and you're changing broadcast partners and you do so oh so seamlessly. Uh, what was that like for you, man? I mean, it felt like you and I, and in many ways, had called the NFL games for a decade. I'm like, like literally week one. I want to say you were in Tennessee. I might be wrong on this, but you did a game with I, and I'm watching. You know me, CD. I got yep. all the TVs I know going. I got the, going. The broadcast is pumping. You know the deal. And I'm like, you know, have these guys been working together for a month, a year, or is this their first game? How did how? How are you able to just go into a broadcast booth and make it perfect, bro? I mean, literally, you guys walked in and you hit the ground running. Well, you're awfully kind. And, you know, a lot of the credit has to go to my broadcast partners. Everyone that I've had has been sensational along the way. You know, the great Gus Johnson to Kevin Burkhart, you know, just to name the most recent guys. And now, now obviously, Ian Eagle. That's broadcasting royalty, by the way, Charles. Just throwing it out there. I mean, you with those three guys, forget about it. We're not not messing around, right? We're we're, we're only playing the big rooms, JJ. I mean, we're not playing the small stuff, right? So, but but they 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 deserve a ton of credit for how they set things up, how they welcome you. But one of the things that Ian and I and and Evan Washburn and our producer, Bob uh, Wolf, and uh, excuse me, Mark Wolf and our, our director, Bob Fishman did, is we did a lot of Zooms because we're in COVID time. So normally I would have flown to Ian's place or flown to Evan's place, or we would have picked a a mutual spot and sat down and hung out. I would have done the same thing with my producer and director. We would have gone to training camps and, you know, found ways to spend time together. But because of COVID, we had to do it like, you know, we're doing now and do it by Zoom. And we would meet every week. We'd get together every week and we would take the, uh, the free Zoom, the 45 minute Zoom and get to know each other. And we did 98% getting to know each other, having a good time, 2% ball. I mean, that's what it was. Our biggest thing was let's get to know each other and find a way to be friends before we ever even meet. And we used to do it. And the fun part was every time the 45 minutes would end, who would be the one talking when it would cut out and we would keep score and say like, and you know, of course you end up with that, you know, that last express or something like that to finish things off. So it was a lot of fun, but that's how we got to go, uh, got to know each other. And our first game was Baltimore, Cleveland at Baltimore. I was close. And, I, you and, did and do a Tennessee game early. In the, I'm usually good with that stuff, you're, Charles. You're, you're, so I, I'm mad I messed it up. But just think, with all the TVs and everything that you're watching, 
That's why you're bigger than Elvis because you know, the, uh, debatable. The, you know, the legend of Elvis is three televisions. If you go to Graceland on the tour, you will see the three TVs in one of the rooms and they tell the story that Elvis loved football and he wanted to watch all of his football games at one time. Thus the three televisions in the room. Now I thought it was debatable because back at that time, I don't think we were throw, showing three games at a time, but you know, I like the legend. I like the story. So you go with it. And if you're watching all the games, bigger than Elvis. As we get ready for this draft, and you've been doing this now, Charles, for a long, long time. Yeah. Last year was so crazy. It was so <laughs> unique. I mean, we were trying to figure out at this time last year if there was even going to be a draft. Would you say that the 2021 process for you has been far more business as usual or kind of somewhat in between? You know, I love how you asked that question. And here's the, here's the best answer I can give you. It has been more business as usual because we learned earlier that we were going to actually be at the draft again. You know, the league, once they decided protocols were in place, vaccinations, things of that nature. Then we got the word, yes, we will be on site again. Because you remember last year, it was really an ESPN driven draft that Daniel Jeremiah, who I think is the best in the business from NFL Network, my colleague, he kind of joined up, you know, he joined with ESPN and they did it that way. And then we did other ancillary stuff through the network this year it's back to the full thing so yes business as usual that way but you know it's been strange for me doing the nfl games and then trying to catch up on my college ball because the season was so disjointed because of covid it's a little bit tougher because the run-up as you know jj is the bowl games are played and then we get into the postseason all-star games the east west the senior bowl we hit the combine and then we have the rest of the run up to the draft. East West was canceled. Senior Bowl, because of protocols, I couldn't attend this year because I was doing stuff for CBS for the Super Bowl. And with COVID testing, they didn't want me going to Mobile. No combine. So now it's only pro days, yet it's a limited number of people going. You see my point? It's a little bit different getting prepared. It's not an excuse. It's not any reason I shouldn't be ready to go. That's not it at all. All of us have to adjust and adapt but it's not nearly the same in, in the preparation. Charles, obviously the Jets going to be one of the major storylines of the first round. And when you got the number two pick and you're in a position to go and take a quarterback, that's going to take center stage. But their prior quarterback, Sam Darnold, yeah. I, for one, was not surprised. They ended up making a move and traded him to the Carolina Panthers. Because, listen, you got a new coach coming in, rookie contracts. It, who knows what Sam Darnold will be with the Carolina Panthers? But didn't you get the sense it just made too much sense for this new Jet regime to go and get their own rookie quarterback? Absolutely. You know, the general manager has been there, but the head coach he inherited previously. Now he gets to hire his own head coach, right? Now, you are, now you're off and running. You get to go and lockstep together that way with a shared vision because that's why you hired him. And let's face it, Seattle with – with Pete Carroll and John Schneider is a great example of a GM and a head coach working together with their shared vision. I think we're seeing it in San Francisco with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. And it's gotten to the point where no one outside of that organization knows who has the final call. Because each of them, in every organization, someone has the final call, whether it's the head coach or the GM. But when you work together that way, that's how it goes. But I think you're exactly right. Plus, it just felt like it was time, didn't it? And JJ... Answer me this question. Anytime you hear a team say, well, there's a chance we'll move on from our quarterback, but really we're thinking about keeping them both. 
You know, keeping them both. No, 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 no. Nonsense. So the whole idea that Sam Darnold would stay and they draft, you know, Zach Wilson and they would compete. That was folly from the word go. And and I think Joe Douglas recognized it pretty quickly. and was like, what are we doing here? So it was a good move. And remember, Sam Darnold's just 23. Hard to believe, right? He's just 23. So he's got a chance to restart his career in Carolina with some pretty good weapons on the perimeter. You think Darnold can salvage his career, the road to Ryan Tannehill going to Tennessee, leaving Adam Gaze, putting himself in a much better situation? Hey, I thought Matt Rule, Charles, was the guy the Jets should have hired a couple of years ago. And now you look at what he's doing with the Panthers. He's got Joe Brady as his coordinator. I mean, if Sam Darnold's going to turn around his NFL career, if he can't do it in Carolina, it ain't ever going to happen, bro. No, I agree with you totally. Remember, that team went 7-9 last year, and they're predicted to be totally abysmal. So they played hard for Matt Rule. They got better as the season went along. I knew that we all knew a quarterback change was inevitable there when the owner of the team jumped up and started screaming, I want a franchise quarterback. So, well, you just signed Teddy Bridgewater last year, so I guess we got our answer. You don't think Teddy's the guy. Yes, he can salvage it. You know how he does it, uh, JJ? Offensive line continue to get better there. I think they're going to still need to look at a left tackle because I'm not totally convinced on Greg Little. But they have the makings there. But Christian McCaffrey comes back. Robbie Anderson's on the perimeter. DJ Moore's on the perimeter. They went and got a tight end in Dan Arnold from from, from, uh, New Orleans who could blossom for them. I like the moves they're making. And you mentioned Joe Brady at offensive coordinator. I'm fully sold on him. Okay. You know I'm a guy who watches a lot of college ball. So ACC, Big Ten, SEC. I love college football. Charles. Yeah, I you mean, have I, a Tuesday action. I know you. Yeah, you, listen, from time to time, if there's a couple of bucks down on a Tuesday action game, I ain't going to discriminate. You ain't kidding, Charles. But, but why, I have to be fair. Hey, why would you indeed? But with Wilson, I have to admit, I did not watch as much of him as I saw Trevor Lawrence, mm-hmm. as I saw in Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Do you have a comp for him right now as you're doing your prep work and you're doing your research and saying, wow, Zach Wilson reminds me of so-and-so? Yeah, I actually, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of Joe Burrow in Zach Wilson's game. Jeff fans going to like that, Charles. Okay, They're going to like that. Because of what I call the second and third reactions. Remember with Joe Burrow at LSU, and remember earlier in Big Ben's career, we used to say it wasn't the first three seconds of a play with Big Ben that scared you. It was the next three seconds because if you didn't get him on the ground, that big oak tree was going to make a huge play on you. Well, because of Burrow's ability to move, because of Zach Wilson's ability to move, you get the same thing. Those guys make a second reaction, a third reaction, and then a big play results downfield. This kid is confident. He's got a bigger arm than I think people know. And just watching him go, remember, you go back in his career, JJ, he took over for Tanner Mangrum. That a lot of people are not going to remember, but he was the guy at BYU at the time and a senior. And he took his job from him as a freshman, played through some injuries in the last couple of years and really blossomed in this last one. I, I like this kid a lot. So there's a lot of Joe Burrow in his game and a little bit of Joe Montana. Ooh, now would you put him, Charles Davis, as your number two quarterback on your big board? I do. I have him as my number two quarterback on the big board. These quarterbacks, it's hard to separate, J.J. It really is. But After look, Lawrence, though, right? Like yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence and everybody Lawrence, else, correct? Lawrence is still my guy because this is, a, this is how I, I tell people all the time. All these guys, a Lawrence and Andrew Luck, um, pick your guy, right? They've been the guy for like three years. Peyton Manning was the guy. And then all of a sudden in the draft process, here comes a contender. 
right? It happens every single time. With Andrew Luck, it was Robert Griffin III. Okay, with in this case for Trevor Lawrence is Zach Wilson, but it was supposed to be Justin Fields. You know, you just go right down the line and we go through the process and we start to like the other guy more because we haven't talked about it. And then about two weeks before the draft begins. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why he was the guy. That's why Trevor Lawrence is the guy. He's number one. I've got Wilson, two. I've got Fields, three. I've got Lance, four. I've got Mac Jones, five. Interesting. Niners made that big move with the Dolphins. Didn't you feel like you were in Wall Street, by the way, Charles, oh with the Dolphins? But, it was great. I'm literally, so listen to this. I had no, I'm not on my phone. I'm looking at an apartment. My buddy is a big fan, not a Dolphin fan. He said, did you see what your team just did? And I'm like, did they just trade for Watson? You know, like everything's going through your mind. And I'm like, wow, they moved from three to 12. They got a boatload back. Then I get back to my apartment a half hour later. They're at six. I'm like, oh, Chris Greer is wheeling and dealing, baby. I love it. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? You remember when Goff and Wentz, Wentz came out? Remember, the Rams had to move, I believe, from 15 to 1 to get Goff. And they did that with the Tennessee Titans. Because remember, John Robinson, the GM, said, a King's Ransom, you can come get it. They gave him a King's Ransom. He ended up drafting Jack Conklin, who was an all-pro at right tackle that year. And then the Eagles made two jumps to get up to number two. So it, it was that kind of a year and they went and got Carson Wentz. It felt similar this year with the Dolphins wheeling and dealing, going down, coming back up. The big move made there, you know, made there to, you know, the, by San Francisco to get to three. And that's where the mystery is. If there is mystery, because it seems to be pointing towards Mac Jones because they were at his initial pro day, you know, the second pro day, the same day, Justin Fields threw for the first time at Ohio state. But yesterday, San Francisco's brass, head coach, GM, they were in Columbus, Ohio to watch Justin Fields. Guess what? They're going to Fargo, North Dakota to see Trey Lance one more time. They're doing their due diligence. It feels like Mac Jones, but I'm just telling you, watching them do their due diligence, I like it. And the story I relate to, last night I related to Urban Meyer getting hired at Notre Dame. He wasn't even on the list and Skip Holtz told his dad, Lou, the head coach at the time, you've got to interview this guy. And his dad said, I've already got my guy. I don't need to interview him. And he begged him. And he gave Urban Meyer an interview. And his guy went out the window and he hired Urban Meyer. Sometimes you just have to go do due diligence and find your person. Let's see if San Francisco's doing that now. Maybe it's not Mac Jones. Maybe it is Justin Fields. Maybe it is Trey Lance. Because all of them can run that Kyle Shanahan system. Okay, the Jets have a second first-round pick. They have a lot of needs on this team, Charles. So to try to pinpoint one specific position, I can't do that. But if there's you, – you think if you're Joe Douglas, that second first-round pick's got to be, bottom line, best player available? I would think so because there's needs all over the place there. You know, you're covered in a few spots. But overall, I don't think there's too many guys on the team that you're saying, I can't draft and maybe, maybe improve my team. So he's got a choice. He's going he's to have some great decisions to make because he could very well have the first pick of running backs if he wants. You know, Miami at 18 is a target for maybe a running Wouldn't back. Wouldn't Najee Harris right? to a look awesome, Charles? And I'm not normally a guy who likes taking running backs. You got to support Tua, man. The idea of getting a guy he knows, put him in the backfield, give him 20 touches, let's go. I love it. And swing it out to him because he has great hands. He can catch out of the backfield. He's bigger than what people know. My comp for him is an old school comp, Franco Harris. Ooh, I like that. Now, when you look back, they didn't throw it a ton to Franco, 
but he could catch it. I mean, who, who's going to ever forget the immaculate reception, right? But his ability to run, his phys- how physical he was in the run game, even though people talk about him running out of bounds, you go back and watch those tapes, and he's just blasting people in the middle of the line. And you saw what he did there. He was an all-pro, a pro bowl runner. If the Dolphins don't take him, could the Jets at 23, or could the Jets be targeting Travis Etienne? I mean, that's how it's going to go. There's a, there's a school of thought that we'll get our runners in the second round. We'll see. And if so, the Jets may have their choice of an edge rusher. Aziz Ojolari from, from Georgia might be available that spot. How far does Greg Rousseau drop after his pro day? Because Jalen Phillips seems to have risen above him at the University of Miami. But Phillips has injury concerns. Rousseau, one year of production. Quiddy Pay, when is he going to come off the board? Is it going to be high? Could it be Dallas at 10, the Giants at 11? Or does he start to drop a little bit to where someone else comes aboard? I'm going to give you a guy that I absolutely love, and it's Zayvon Collins, the linebacker out of Tulsa. This kid is a big, good-looking guy. My partner, Daniel Jeremiah, said he looks like Brian Urlacher in terms of size, ability to run, all those things. Now, Urlacher was a whole different kettle of fish, as we know, because he's a former safety who could return punts. But watch Zayvon Collins' highlight tape if you want, just to get a sense of him. Watch how many times he gets his hands on the ball and it turns into a big play. Charles, looking at the Giants, to me, they're in a position. I know they add Kenny Galladay and they go bring in Kyle Rudolph, but you're going into Daniel Jones' third year. Right. This is make or break time for a quarterback. So I know they have a needed edge rusher. That's true. Yep. You can never have enough offensive linemen. I know my guy Danny Heifetz here at the Ringer has been bothering me to no end about the Giants taking a lineman. But CD, man, if I see either Jalen Waddle or I see Devontae Smith on the board, man, that's going to be awfully, awfully tough to pass up. Where do you stand with how the Giants should try to attack that first round? Well, I would agree with you. And, you know, initially I was big about the, the edge rusher, but because the Giants' history – and what's in this steeped in their culture is what? Defense, right? When you think about the Giants, you think about defense before anything else. That's the lore. That's what the fans love, the whole deal. But in this case, I agree with you. Remember, getting Galladay is a big deal. But they also got John Ross. But he hasn't produced much in the league. So you're not going to sit there and say, okay, John Ross, 60 cat. We don't know that. He's going to have to prove it. He has the speed, but it hasn't turned into production. What are you getting out of Sterling Shepard, who's been dinged along the way, and he's got so much heart, but again, in and out of the lineup. I'm with you. A waddle especially because of the explosiveness and allow Galladay to to work that intermediate stuff that he does so well and play above the rim. I like that. And here's the one one thing I will throw at him. They've got to have Evan Ingram be the Evan Ingram that was drafted. You know, consistent – catch the football because Evan Ingram was Kyle Pitts before Kyle Pitts entered this draft. You think Charles having a guy like Rudolph will help in that regard? I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, you know, the look, when you put all that together and now you're able to, you know, swing that and swing it as a, as a full package. Definitely. CD in many ways, my man, we know that this draft starts at four. The Jaguars are taking Lawrence at one. Jets are going to take Wilson at two. Niners, we're trying to figure out what quarterback they're going to take at three. How do you see this playing out, CD? How is it going to shake out for Atlanta? Because this is where this draft kind of can take an interesting turn. 
I bounced all over the place on that one, JJ. And right now I'm leaning and my first mock draft comes out tomorrow. So that's your little. Oh, I like that. That's a good timing right there. Charles. You'll, you'll good see timing. I'm leaning with the mock draft on it when, when you see it come out tomorrow, but you know, quarterback, Matt Ryan, I think he's got two years left on his deal, but it's a brand new regime, brand new head coach, brand new GM. You know, he's been around a while. Scoring points hasn't been their issue, but the idea of Kyle Pitts being passed on is tough for people to grasp because he's just so dynamic. I also think the quarterback is hard to go, hard to let go too. If you like a guy and by the way, Ryan Tannehill had his best success with Arthur Smith as his offensive coordinator. Arthur Smith's now the head coach. Justin Fields resembles Ryan Tannehill's game a lot and even more athletic than Ryan Tannehill. So that's what Arthur Smith has been playing with lately. He might want to continue to go in that direction. We shall see. But look, Atlanta's a a roster that can do anything right now. If they don't take Kyle Pitts, though, does Cincinnati take him at five? Or does Cincinnati go for Panay Sewell? at offensive tackle to protect Joe Burrow or Jamar Chase to reunite Burrow and Chase at wide receiver. And if they don't go, where does Jamar Chase? Does he go to the Dolphins at six? You're right. The draft really starts at four. Our question is just who's it going to be at three for San Francisco leaning toward Mac Jones, but I don't know that it's totally done yet. The choice will probably be made for my beloved Dolphins, Charles. But if you have Pitts and Chase on the board, man, that's like, it's like flipping a coin. Like, to me, you can't go wrong either way. Uh, Pitts could be the next great tight end. I think he's going to be a stud. But then when I see Jamar Chase play, think about this. He's on the same team as Justin Jefferson, who was a beast last year for the Minnesota Vikings. Charles, on that national championship team, wasn't oh, close. Was Chase was the best Chase. receiver. Crazy. Jamar Chase. It was, it's crazy how many good receivers they have. They're so, they were so deep at receiver that Terrace Marshall – could easily be a first round pick later in the draft. And no one talks about him because it was chase. It was, you know, it, it was Justin Jefferson. It was, I mean, you just go on. It's kind of, kind of like being at Alabama and all the guys they've had recently with rugs and Judy. And now you got Waddle and Devonte Smith and just a plethora of riches as, as it goes along. So you're right. The dolphins may have their choice made for them, but I'm just going to tell you Pitts and Gasecki. And here's the thing about pitch. You can break. That's play. like Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, Charles. Let's be honest. Look, 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 look last year at Cleveland going to the playoffs. Right. And what, what, what uh, Kevin Stefanski did running that offense with multiple tight ends. Quarterback's best friend, especially a young quarterback. And Pitts can break out and, and run those one-on-one routes himself. One of the all-time great routes that I don't know gets enough credit. Gronk in the Super Bowl against Seattle near the end of the first half, send him to the backside of the formation one-on-one, and K.J. Wright walked out on it. So K.J. Wright went from being an outside backer to a corner. Who do you think won that battle? Gronk beat him to the end zone, caught the touchdown pass. It was a huge play. That's what Kyle Pitts gives you. Okay, Charles, you're around the NFL. You know it well. Let's take Mahomes out of this. He's a stud. He's the real deal. He's the best player in the sport. If there's one quarterback right now, that Charles Davis could buy stock in, that he thinks is going to be an absolute beast in 2021, follow up what he did in 2020, maybe take his game to the next level. Who is Charles Davis buying stock in? Well, since you're limiting me to one, because, you know, I'd buy stock in a whole bunch of guys and hope to diversify my portfolio. I'm still watching Kyler Murray ascend in, in Arizona. And the way that Cliff Kingsbury is running that offense for him, 
be interesting to me see if they get him a go, get him a runner because Kenyon Drake's no longer there. Chase Edmond is there, but get him a runner with the spread out combinations. DeAndre Hopkins, can Christian Kirk come into form? Do they add another receiver there? I just think that that young man, all the question marks that went into it, draft size, you know, baseball versus football. I think he continues to ascend. We saw him play last year, Ian and I and, and Evan against Buffalo. Remember that great game? Oh, you guys said that that might have been a game of the regular and, season. And I, and I had had the I had, had the 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 call, the Hale Murray. That kid was dying. That kid was dynamite down the stretch. There was no way that should have happened. And it, and he and he and Hopkins made that happen. And I go back to last year, Charles. Listen, right now Herbert outperformed my guy too. I got to own that. He, Herbert was off the charts, and he Burrow was phenomenal. Yeah, and Burrow's got all the intangibles you're looking for. There's an it factor about him. They just got to protect him. They've got to get people around him. But for Tua, how would you try to transform the offense if you were Miami to get more out of him? Because to me, Charles, they didn't – I get it. He's a rookie quarterback. He's coming off an injury, and they had a defense that was feasting and forcing turnovers like crazy. But – this guy was so dynamic at Alabama, and it, you didn't see that as much last year. You did see it against Kyler Murray, right. where he outdueled and outperformed Kyler Murray. But if there's one element lacking within the Dolphin offense that you would change, what would it be? I think that the ability to spread and go a little bit quicker, I think that might play into his 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 talents a little bit more. You know, you start to okay the rhythm. The rhythm, the rhythm. I'm not talking about all the time being in fast break football, but giving him those opportunities with a little bit more spread. That's why a Pitts or a Jamar Chase comes into play and gives you that opportunity. That's why we're talking about maybe a runner at 18, you know, things of that nature. But I will say this, JJ, I totally understood what Brian Flores was doing last year, where late in the season, Tua would start. If it wasn't going well, here comes Fitz. He was the closer, man. He was, he was like Mariano Rivera coming out of the bullpen. And they came within one game of making the playoffs. I will not question what they were doing, but in the long run, I don't think it helped Tua. And here's why. He never had to battle through anything where, where, where it was a bad day. You know, I like baseball. I believe you like baseball as well. The pitchers have always told us what, and the managers always told us, say, pitchers grow up when they win games without their best stuff when they find a way to scatter 11 hits and get a win, even though it wasn't a great day. We didn't get that out of Tua because he was always going to the bench when things weren't going well. We don't know that in the fourth quarter, when he was 14 to 38 throwing the ball previously, that he could fashion together that drive. This year, it certainly looks like he'll have every opportunity to get that done. All your years of doing this, do you have a favorite NFL draft? Oh, boy. I have moments. I don't know about yeah, all right, that. Yeah, that, that works, CD. Do you have a favorite moment in all these years of doing the NFL draft? I have moments, and one of the moments was one of my early ones, and it's not because of what happened in terms of it was bad for this one person, but just the roar. It was Radio City Music Hall. The Jets, I believe, were on the clock at 9. No, Miami was on the clock at 9. And everyone thought Brady Quinn was the call. Oh, I remember this. Remember? Charles, there might have been a meltdown in my freshman year dorm right? after remember? that draft because I wanted well, I thought him. Brady Quinn was a lock to go to Miami at nine. And I was in Radio City Music Hall, and <laughs> Commissioner Goodell said, Ted Ginn nice Jr., I think something got broken at Flint Hall in Syracuse, Charles. He I'm leaving it at that. With the ninth pick 
the Miami Dolphins select Ted Ginn. Why? And that's all I heard. Because once everybody registered, the roar was out the roof where everybody went crazy. And you might remember the great piece of tape with Brady, who's just a wonderful person, one of, a tremendous colleague. You remember him? I think he looked at his then girlfriend and said, now that's a surprise and because no one saw it coming. And the hard part is with quarterbacks, if they don't go into places we think they're slotted, the drop can happen. It happened to Aaron Rodgers. Remember Geno Smith we thought was going to be a first rounder. He went all the way to day two into the second round, Brady, the drop started and commissioner Goodell. First time I remember this happening, he got him out of the green room where all of our cameras were stalking his every move and took him into the commissioner's private suite. And then Cleveland, I believe traded back in and took him at 22. And I've never seen a guy go in the first round that looked more relieved than happy than Brady Quinn at that point. He, he had been through the emotional ringer and then end up back in Ohio with Cleveland. It looked like things were going to get kickstarted. Didn't happen the way they wanted. But that's the moment I remember because of the roar. Because back then, Jets Giants, Radio City Music Hall, those were, those were going to be the big reactions. You've done a lot of great games throughout your career. Uh, you had one this year with Arizona and Buffalo. Do you look back, college, pro, CD, and have a favorite game you were behind the mic? <sighs> Hard to say, JJ, because I can give you the stock answer. If I'm hoping the greatest game is still out there, and we all are hoping that. But again, yeah, you're going to be around long enough doing this. You're going to add to it. So when I ask you this in five years, you'll have a different yeah, answer it'll for be me. Different, I get that. Right? But again, it's moments. Playoff game this year with Iron Eagle, Buffalo, and Indianapolis. Just the idea I'm doing the playoffs. This is phenomenal. Um, Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma, Boise State. That's what I thought you were going to say, to be honest. Tom Brenneman. That's what I thought you were going to say. You know, because that was late and I kind of put my career on the line a little bit. I was told later because I said that they would go for two if they scored. I pushed all my chips in on the table because I just yeah, thought. Yeah, you're oh, an all-in kind of guy. I'm not surprised. I thought, call. I, thought they, I thought they were done punching. You know, like Boise had punched all they could punch. They had to get out of there. If they kept going in overtime, because Adrian Peterson had come back from injury. Remember, he missed about half the season and he was just getting lathered up. And I think his first carry in overtime from the 25. He just waltzed into the end zone. I was like, oh, boy, here it comes. And Boise get, did it, did all the stuff and got out of there. That was pretty phenomenal. So, you know, moments like that. CD, you are the best, bro. Thanks for a couple of minutes, man. We will be watching on the NFL Network 2021 NFL Draft from Cleveland, April 29th through May 1st. And CD, knock it out of the park, baby. I'm looking forward to joining in. Great ensemble there. People, Rich Eisen, of course, Daniel Jeremiah, the, Jeremiah, best in the biz. David Shaw, the Stanford coach, will be with us round. The heavy hitters, basically. Yep, you know, That's what I'm talking about. This rounds two and three. Peter Schrager after that. I'm lucky to be a part of it. Fortunate, proud, and happy. You're the best, CD. Take yeah. care, all right, brother? JJ, be good. Congrats again. Thank you. Charles Davis, a lot more to do. New York, New York, wrapping up a busy week. We'll come right back. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed. 
my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Well, welcome it in. A guy who I know very well because we basically spent an entire year doing television together. And now he is like the television superstar on MSGPM. He's got 10 zillion gigs. And of course, now we're not together, Kaz, when the Knicks are balling out playing great basketball. The great Kazim Famuide. Kaz, baby, what's happening, bro? JJ, my guy, the Threadheads are back. It's uh, it's good to so see you. So basically, Kaz, let's enlighten for anybody who right now is listening to New York, New York, and is like, well, what are JJ and Kaz talking about? They know yeah, each yeah. other. There's a, yes. Of course, there's it's a relationship because the two of us did a boatload and a shitload of TV back yes. in the day on SNY's The Thread. And now, Kaz, did you think a year later or two years later, it feels like 10, to be honest with you, with all the COVID stuff, that... Yeah we would be sitting here having a conversation and I'll be loving New York Knickerbockers or dare I say, fun to watch. You know what, JJ? Yes, this is exactly what I thought was going to be. I figured the next time we would be talking on any sort of platform, it was because New York sports are in a good place. Is because... that because you thought the world was going to end and therefore it would like start from <laughs> ground zero? So we basically had to build it back up. Be honest with me, Cass. Yes, be honest. just a smidge, just a smidge. Because the last time, I feel like you were you were like the handful of people that I seen last before like COVID went and like turned everything into shit, right? Like we were doing SNY shows. I remember we were like sitting in the studio, like kind of sort of talking about it. Like, yo, this thing seems kind of serious. Like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll see be you good. on Friday. You I'll know, no you big Friday. deal. <laughs> opening, I remember I was like, yeah, I'm going to AC. I'm going to Vegas. Yeah. I'm going to Baltimore for opening day. I think all those plans right, right down to you know what, bro. Forget about oh, it. Oh, it was terrible. But it, it, it's good to see you, man. You're killing it. I'm glad you're on the ringer, man. Uh, I'm glad you got this gig. Nobody deserves it more. Uh, and, and I'm a fan, dude. It's good It's good to see good people winning, man. So I'm, I I'm appreciate hyped for you, that. Bro. That's very kind <laughs> of you to say. And now, because we are technically co workers, I have the excuse basically of getting you on the horn anytime something big happens with the New York Knicks and Kaz can let it rip. And, you know, the people now see you after these Knick games. When was the first time for you it was like, holy shit, man, I'm a part of the MSG family. Like, my, I remember you tweeted this out or you put it yeah. up on IG. Yeah. Mike Breen basically teeing up your show with my main cat. I was like, this is awesome, dude. This is awesome. Listen, I, don't tell MSG this, right? But like, they don't have to pay me as long as Mike Breen gives me the tee up before every show. That's better than any payment. Like Breen, Breen does it the professional way. And then Clyde always follows up with his like Clydeisms or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm pinching myself. I'm like, this is, nothing's better than this. Nothing's better than this. So like with, with MSG PM, right? Initially, it started off as like a daily morning show with the, in the mornings, right? And just talking about all New York sports. And then as, you know, the Knicks are coming back and the season's starting, obviously certain, uh, you know, priorities shift, but they really like the show. And it's like, you know what? We're going to put you on right after Nick games. And I'm like, man, this is going to be fantastic or awful because the last thing anybody wants to see after a Knicks like blowout loss is like my face trying to make light of it or whatever. But like, luckily enough, I think our 
MSG PM record is like 14 and four or something like that. So every time so we're So you guys on, just got to be on after every game then. That's basically that's, what you're That's what me. it is. That's what it is. You know, like, I mean, you know, you can spare me for like the West Coast trips. You know, I'm not trying to stay up to like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I'm going to go play like the Blazers or somebody. But uh, nah, it's it's been really dope, man. And, um, you know, the, just the MSG family has been like really like welcoming and really cool. Uh, we've gotten to talk to like Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Clyde Frazier, Larry Johnson. I mean, uh, you name it. Anybody who's anyone within like New York, Rutgers, St. John, Syracuse, Yankees, Mets, Knicks. I mean, it's it's been it's been really great. It's been really great. Uh, this Nick here. When was the moment for you? Because you're usually a positive guy. When it comes to the Knicks, I, <laughs> on the other K. hand, you're positive K, I'm negative J, because the last 20 years, bro, have beaten me down. But I don't know when it was for me, and you're doing this stuff night in and night out. When was the moment for you this year, you were like, holy smokes, the Knicks might be a little bit better than I thought. Yeah, uh, there was a handful of moments. I, I feel like the, the Milwaukee Bucks game, when they were at full strength, and I think it was a home game, and they blew them out by like 30 or something and it wasn't like no razzle dazzle like warriors era just like raining threes it's like no they're locking down on defense they're getting good shots like every shot was just like a wide open bucket and i'm just like huh this is a well-coached team like this isn't just this isn't just like put out put out the most talented players just let them do talented stuff it's like no they're getting in good position they're playing hard they're diving on the floor like all that type of stuff that was one moment and then secondly after that game, it was like the rise of Emmanuel quickly, right? Like, it's always fun when, like, you, the players that you expect to, to do well do well. Like, you know, the Julius Randles of the world. I mean, R.J. Barrett comes in with a lot of hype. Uh, you know, uh, everybody. You know, Mitchell Robinson, before he got injured, was doing his thing. But when you get one of those surprise guys that pop up and it's like, oh, we got another guy, a fourth or fifth guy. And then Derrick Rose comes in and Derrick Rose kind of like settles the ship of, of, of that second unit. I'm like, okay, the Knicks have something here. They're not going to be world beaters at all, but they're not going to be a walk in the park anytime you go into the garden, which is, you know, uh, which is how I grew up. You know, like it doesn't matter how bad the Knicks are. When you go into Madison Square Garden, you've always protected home court. And I feel like for the last several years, it's turned into like the showcase for other stars to come in and, and show off in New York City. So now that's not so much the case. Like you come into New York, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get hurt. And another game that really kind of like settled it for me was I think it was a preseason game against the Detroit Pistons. Wow, okay, going when, back to the preseason, okay. Yes, because they played two games in a row. I think the first game, they they played them, they, they beat them pretty handily. And then the second game, you could kind of see that, okay, is this preseason, like, we're not trying to play that hard to get hurt for the season? Or, like, this is like, okay, these dudes are really physical and I don't want to hurt myself. And it's like, no, like, these dudes got punked and they, they became a physical team. And it's like, oh, God, it's the preseason. I'm not trying to, you know, the Knicks aren't a fun team to play. You know, like they're, they're not going to get up 140 points when you play the Knicks unless you're like, you know, something out of the ordinary happens. You're not going to just come in and, 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 and make fun of them or think it's like a, a night off. Like you got to bring your lunch play when, the play when it comes to the Knicks. And that's all I've ever wanted. Bro, like, you not, and me I'm both. Not, you and me yeah. both. And that's why, Kaz, for years I've been screaming about Tibbs. I wanted yeah. Tibbs to be the head coach. And I think the transformation with me with the Knicks going from negative J to positive J <laughs> is when they brought in Tom Thibodeau. Because 
I figured they'd screw it up. I figured they'd go get some coach that, you know, would not instill any sense of culture. And Tibbs has just come in, man. He is a lifer, dude. This is what he has wanted his entire life is to be the head coach of the New York Knicks. He was on the bench, bro. When Van Gundy, we're watching all these games, like the classic games during COVID. You watch Knicks Heat. You watch Knicks Pacers. You see any of these games. Who is right next to Jeff Van Gundy screaming, hollering? (laughs) It's our dude Tibbs, man. I'm so happy he's the coach of this team, bro. And the best thing about it was, like, he wasn't really the sexy pick, remember? Like, when when they announced, like, Tibbs was getting hired, like, it wasn't, you know, a lot of NBA coaches and franchises. This narrative of him, he's running players in the ground. Who gives a shit? The team is stunk (laughs) for 20 years. Let him play hard, for goodness sakes. And by the way, the idea that he didn't win in Minnesota, going to the playoffs in Minnesota should be like a banner, bro. You're going to win in Minnesota? Give him a banner, for goodness sakes. Oh, my gosh. And you remember that, too. And that team was low-key loaded, too, between Butler, Wiggins, Towns, Rose, all those guys. But, yeah, like you said it, man. Like, it was it was really not the sexiest pick around NBA circles. It was like, oh, can he connect to today's player? And he's going to run these guys to the ground and their knees or whatever. And, you know, a lot of coaches and franchises were moving towards, like, the younger analytic-based, like, head coaches that were, you know, kind of, just, just, just making this the NBA what it is now. They didn't want to do grind it out, play defense, uh, 100 first team to 100 wins sort of games at all. So now that he's taken that and become what I think is, you know, at least a top three coach of the year candidate. Like it just speaks to the direction that the New York Knicks are going. That, like you said, for 20 years, I've been getting beat down outside of maybe one or two seasons that we had something to smile about. Like it's just been a rough, rough 20 years for the Knicks fans. And happily, this year isn't one of them. Dude, I can't get enough of Barrett. I love his game, man. I love the fact that he's getting better. I love that he can finish at the rack. He's not afraid of taking the shot at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. And his three-point shooting, it's leaps and bounds. And his free-throw shooting is leaps and bounds better than what it was a year ago. And, you know, Kaz, it's amazing. A year in, people, because he was in the draft with Zion Williamson and with John Morant, they wanted to... You know, disparage him because he wasn't Zion and he wasn't job. But guess what? He's really, really good. And he's not even 20. Think about this, bro. He's not even old enough to go to the uh, liquor store and go pick up a bottle of Johnny or pick up a 12 pack of beer. (laughs) So to me, listen, I don't know. I I don't know if he's going to be like a number one player, let's say. But I think all star and R.J. Barrett, you could put that in the same sentence. Why not? You, You know what I love more than everything you just said? I love that he gets slighted every time out and he responds and he doesn't run from it. He doesn't say, he doesn't give you like the cliche athlete quote, like, oh, well, you know, like, I love that he lets it be known. Like, yeah, I heard what Anthony Edwards said. Like, yeah, I heard about the the top 25 under 25 list from ESPN. Yeah, I heard about, you know, yes, not making any all rookie team is a slight to me. Like, I love that he has so many chips on his shoulder. He's a third overall pick. Anybody who's followed this kid's career, he has been the number one high school player up until, like, Zion came out of, like, a, a, a meteor out the sky and crash-landed into <laughs> Earth, right? Like, our, everybody who has watched basketball or studies basketball or does this scouting and recruiting thing for a living has looked at this kid from Canada and said, he is going to be a star. He is going to be a major player. They, be, they were called him Maple Mamba before he even stepped foot on the court. And now you look at his numbers. 
You look at his productivity. You look at his maturity. You look at all of these things that he brings to the game, and you realize he's only 20 years old. He's clearly the team's second best player. And the older he gets, you, you, you see everything that he's improving upon is the thing that makes superstars. It's things that are only going to improve. He's only going to get better. He's only going to get stronger. He's only going to get better handle. He's only become a better shooter. And he's only 20 years old, okay? like, And I love his attitude. I love that he takes everything personally and he comes out and he responds directly every, every single time he comes out. Alan Hahn had a great quote. He said, okay, maybe he's not good enough to be on a 25-25 list. Maybe he's not good enough for this. But you know what he's good enough to do? He's good enough to make the New York Knicks, the, the, the punching bag of the NBA for the past 20 years, relevant, all right? Like Julius Randle balling out of control, but he can't do it on his own. And anytime Julius and RJ got it going, they're a very, very tough team to stop. Okay. They're going to make the playoffs. How far they're going to go? Listen, they get through that playing round gravy to me. They, I, I <laughs> guys, Listen, I want to dare to dream. I want to think they have a chance against Philly, Brooklyn, no, John, Milwaukee. Why, why, not, why not the Knicks? I just don't why see it, Why not bro. the Knicks? Listen, why maybe not? Jay's creeping in. Because Cavs <laughs> in the not? best of seven series, talent wins. I just don't listen, think they I, have I, enough talent to win. I understand that, JJ. But listen. All the injuries going on in the NBA, all of the whatever happens, you know, there's so many things that can happen between now, May and June. When you get in there, you never know. Nobody saw the Miami Heat coming. Nobody saw a lot of these Eastern Conference teams coming. Granted, yes, the Brooklyn Nets are an absolute juggernaut right now. And if they're healthy, nobody's beating those guys, right? But why not now? Let me ask why you a question. Got, why do we got to keep saying, oh, next year when somebody else comes? What's wrong with right now? Let's okay, right Kaz. Okay, Kaz. <laughs> Let's draw it up then, bro. Let's draw okay. it up. They get Let's out of the up. playing round. They're playing in the first round of the playoffs. Okay. Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee. Who do you think is the best matchup for them? Best matchup, Milwaukee, by far. I, I think they could take you. Milwaukee. I think they could take Milwaukee. I think they could take, I think they're a better team than Boston. I know they beat them last time, but I think right now, as it as currently stands, I think the New York Knicks are better equipped to go seven games with the Boston Celtics. If they match up with the Sixers or the, or the Brooklyn Nets, it, it's 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 going to be tough. I'd much rather them go up against the Brooklyn Nets, honestly. Well, it's house the, money, right, bro? Like to me, it's house money. There's nothing yeah, exactly. They, they can go into that series. Everyone thinks Brooklyn's winning the East and winning an mm -hmm. NBA title. And you can have a little fun with the Net fan for a week or two. You know, you yes. can make them sweat and make them nervous. So from that standpoint, it'd be great. But then if the Knicks lose, I'd be annoyed. I'm not going to lie. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. The Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks match up. The Nets have to sweep them. They have to. Let God help New York City if the Knicks take two games from the almighty Brooklyn Nets in in. Barclays or Madison Square Garden, nobody's going to be rooting for those guys. Everyone's going to be rooting for those underdog New York Knicks to take it from that massive juggernaut of a team. They have to sweep the Knicks. There's no way winning one or two games is going to be seen as a win for them at all. Who's the one guy next year you want to add to this team? Because I think they got a good group. They play hard. They're easy to root for. I think Lonzo Ball's the guy. Myself, Cass. If mm. they can get a guy in the offseason, I think they need that that point guard, Lonzo Ball's taking his shooting to another level. Is he mm. the dream guy you have for the summer, or is it somebody else? I've always been a big fan of Lonzo Ball. It's kind of the same thing uh, uh, like we were talking about with R.J. Barrett. 
where he had so many chips on his shoulders. People tried to write this kid off before he was even 22 years old. You know what I mean? And now you're seeing him grow. You're seeing him become a much better shooter, much better playmaker. And that's the kind of play and a really good defender. He seems like a Tom Thibodeau type of player to me, honestly. You know, like he seems like a guy that will fit right in or take a lot of Alfred Payton's minutes. I think I don't think I don't know if Payton's even going to be on the team next year. I don't know who's going to be on the team next year. But, Hopefully, uh, Peyton is not on the team, by the way. I am I, not I, one I of did. the biggest uh, believers in the Alfred Payton <laughs> fan club. Just throwing it out there. I, I think I think Payton is serviceable at best. I'll put it that That's way. That's nice. But, <laughs> You're being kind. That's okay. <laughs> no, nah, but you know, I mean, pie in the sky, like wishing on a star. Why not Kawhi? Why wow, not Kawhi you're Leonard? You, know what you I mean? really like, are positive. I am right now. You're, rooting for the, you're rooting for the Clippers to blow up. And he had a chance. Well, you know what, Kaz? No matter what happens here, for years, we would have these discussions. We did them when yeah. we were on SNY back in the day. Oh, yes. so and so's coming. This guy's coming. <laughs> and I would get so sick and tired of it because I'm like, listen, until somebody comes not named Carmelo Anthony, they're <laughs> never coming. But now, Kaz, we're living in a different world. I think players are going to want to play for the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, people have, listen. Kawhi Leonard could have signed an extension to stay with the Los Angeles Clippers. He did not. When the Clippers played the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, he had glowing things to say. Kawhi said, who says absolutely nothing in any press conference, who gives you the bare minimum, had glowing reviews for the New York Knicks. You mean to tell me a guy like Kawhi Leonard would not love to play for a guy like Tom Thibodeau, play alongside a rough rider like Julius Randle, who's not going to sink in the big moments? A young cat like R.J. Barrett? Listen. Anybody who could fill in that wing role, granted, point guard is one thing. I still really believe in Emmanuel Quickly's growth. I don't know if he's a combo guard. I don't know. If you he's see a the Lou Williams. Williams comparison, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. He's he's much more of a scorer than a a traditional point guard. But the NBA is different. All point guards got to be able to score. So I'm not mad at him eventually taking that mantle. Me, I feel like they need to solidify that wing, three and D guy, and there is no more complete three and D guy out there than Kawhi Leonard. The Knicks have the money to get him straight up without losing or trading anything else. They have an opportunity to get some more two first round picks this year. I mean, the Knicks are in what, even if they don't, even if they, they poo poo the bed, these playoffs, they are uniquely positioned to add a true star player this year and not as a savior, right? Like that's been the one Give up. If you listen to anything Kevin Durant saying in uh in, in all the past uh in all the past interviews when it came to New York and leaving teams or whatever, like the savior complex that Knicks fans have always had has driven the star player away. All right. Now the Knicks actually have something. They actually look good. They actually have an identity, right? Now, a star player does not have to come and be the savior. You can plug him in and play and know that they have a, a, a way of playing that they enjoy doing. And it's they, you don't have to be the main star, you know, like you got help. You don't have to be the guy who has to come in like Carmelo Anthony did and feel like you have to lift everything on your shoulders to make this thing even work. You got to prove an all-star in Julius Randle. You got a potential all-star in R.J. Barrett. You got a spark plug off the bench in the manual quickly. I mean, I like Bullock a lot. I'm, I'm scared of Alec Burks. I feel like we're going to have to pay him a ton of money He's to stay next year. He's been terrific, by the way. Way better than I ever could have imagined. He Holy is moly. A, He's a bucket. He's an absolute bucket in crunch time. And the Knicks are going to have to pay him next year. That being said, 
I mean, if you're a three and D all fringe all star guy, like if in, in in a perfect world, if like a Tobias Harris was available in the free agency pool next year, he's like the perfect guy I would slide into this franchise right now. I'm I'm the Knicks have something to be excited about. I think they're in good position. You got 10 zillion gigs. So for me to try to plug them would be impossible. I'll let you do it. What do you got to plug? Let's go, man. MSG PM after every home Knicks game on MSG Networks, Fubo TV, AT&T TV, wherever you get that network at. Uh, you can check me out right here on The Ringer with the Mass Man Show. Shout my out man. my guy, David Shoemaker. Uh, we got a new episode that came out today. Uh, just came from WrestleMania. Talked about all that. Uh, shout I love out your belt, to, uh, by the way, in the background. The audience, if you're listening right now, Chaz right now has the belt <laughs> behind them. It's very, very impressive. That's that's the Rock's belt. So I always Ooh, keep it behind Even me, better, you know, baby. I love it. <laughs> I keep it back there for good luck. Um, check out my podcast, Say Less with Kaz. Loki and Rosie drops every single Monday. It's a podcast literally about everything. We have musical guests, uh, athletes, everything. And uh, man, and just, just much more to come. Much more to come, JJ. Kaz, I love you. Thanks for a couple minutes, man. And hopefully we can do this in a month when we're getting ready for Nick postseason basketball doesn't that sound glorious uh, bro let's do it you know we got we gotta, we gotta share it we gotta share it. we gotta get you on msgpm now too, hey so listen I, I got i got time on my hands you just let me know when and when <laughs> i mean Kaz, love you buddy thanks man love you too bro take it easy man Kaz family today man of the people mr nick himself all right we're back with listener voicemails we got some gambling prop stuff with ariel epstein so much more to do right after this this episode is brought to you by cars.com when you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Listen to voicemail time. And in case you're new to New York, New York, and you're wondering, how in the world do I get in touch with JJ? Well, it's very easy to do. Whenever you have that feeling that you're fired up or irate or you just want to shoot the shit a little bit, 917-382-1151. We take listener voicemails on every single edition of New York, New York, and it's gone really swimmingly. 1151. And you like my message at the end of it. It's very personalized. It's very me. And then you do you. Speaking of doing you, who do we got on the horn? Hey, JJ. It's John from Master of Queens over here. Big Yankee fan. That's why I let all Yankee fans out there know. Calm the hell down. We're used to these slow starts. We're used to these slow starts. And things will turn around like they always have. 2017, the team started one and four, ended up becoming 21 and nine. In 2018, the team started nine and nine. They went on a hot streak and weren't 26 and 10. And in 2019, the team started eight and 10. Then they went on a hot streak and went 17 and 11. Calm down. John trying to be the voice of reason right there. And everything he said is accurate. They did get off to a terrible start in 17. 18 was so-so. 19, remember, they were dealing with all those injuries. And then they got going in a big way. The bigger issue to me with the Yankees is not the idea of the slow start. The bigger issue with the Yankees is the fact that the warning signs early and what you are seeing early 
could end up being a bad sign of things to come in the month of October because the warts and the problems of this team have been on full display. That is why you should be concerned. What's next? Hey, JJ, Charleston, Charleston Queen calling again. Thanks for talking to me off the ledge last week uh, with my voicemail with the Aaron Judge. Seriously, I'm happy I kept him. He's been playing really well. I'm really concerned about the Yankee bats. They just don't seem to be hitting. I keep hearing everybody they will hit. Are we sure they will hit? I mean, this is kind of feeling of an ugly season. I'm hoping I'm not taking too much on the short sample side, but they got to play better. My question is, where do you see the Yankees going in the trade market this year, if any? Do you think there are any pitchers or hitters out there that we could go after? I saw an article in the Post a couple weeks ago about trading Gleyber Torres for Trevor Story. Do any thoughts on that? Thanks. Love the show. Charles, appreciate it. I can't get into the trade market yet when it's April the 15th. It's April the 15th. I have no idea who's going to be available yet. I have no idea what kind of shape the Yankees are going to be in come late June and July. You call me in late June, I'll have plenty of answers for you on who I want. Now, the story for Glaber rumor makes absolutely no sense to me. And I like Joel Sherman a lot. I think he's one of the best baseball columnists in America. Why do the Yankees need another right-handed power bat who strikes out a ton, who's a free agent at the end of the year? And you're going to give away Glaber Torres for that? Trevor Story's a free agent at the end of the year. The Rockies, they're in bargain basement mode. They gave away Nolan Arenado. The only way I'm bringing in Trevor Story is if I'm taking on his salary. They're not getting Glaber Torres for Trevor Story. Absolutely not. And I don't think he's the sort of player the Yankees need. They need left-handed bats. They need guys who put the ball in play. Story, on that note, as terrific as he is, he's 0 for 2. What's next? What up, JJ? It's Justin from Nyack. Uh, big listener of the Bill Simmons pod. Uh, started listening to New York, New York. Yeah, so far, so good. I uh, just wanted to say I'm also a Q's guy. Uh, Buddy Beheim is the next Duncan Robinson. There's no other way of going around it. And uh, also, I was watching the Knicks last night, and Derrick Rose is by far the best point guard on the team. Why is this guy up for pain fucking starting? There's no point to it. Uh, it makes no sense. It takes minutes away from him. Why is, he, why is he starting? Why is he on the team? It drives me freaking nuts. I don't understand. And uh, two, uh, Stanton is a bum. That's, that's it. Like, get paid too much money. Maybe give some of that money to Judge, to Gary, to guys who actually work hard because Stanton is a fucking bum. That's all I got. Lot to get to there, Justin. Appreciate the call, number one. I love your point on Buddy Beheim. I can't get enough Buddy Beheim. We're going to have to get Buddy Beheim at some point on New York, New York, because he is right now atop the JJ Man Crush list for what he was able to do in the NCAA tournament and for what it's worth. I never in a million years a year ago thought that Buddy Beheim could play in the NBA. Now, with the way he shoots the basketball and with the work I think he's going to put in throughout the summertime, I think that's a possibility. I really do. Um, Derrick Rose is going to play big minutes for this team in the playoffs. I know Tom Thibodeau has an Alfred Payton obsession. Alfred Payton is not playing crunch time minutes for the Knicks. That'll be Derrick Rose. And Stanton, look, Stanton will hit. If he can find a way to stay on a field he's going to hit, the biggest problem is the Yankees have locked themselves long-term into a guy who is a one-trick pony and basically does the exact same stuff that Aaron Judge does. It's why bringing in Stanton, if you go back a couple of years ago, 
a monumental mistake in more ways than one. Who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Dean Gillespie in Stanford, Connecticut. Love the show. Quick question for you. When do you think Aaron Boone gets put on the hot seat? And if the Yanks do fire him, who could they potentially bring in? Thanks. Keep up the good work, pal. Dean, Aaron Boone's not going anywhere this year. If this regime with Cashman and company is continuing to call the shots, they're not firing Aaron Boone midseason. This is not... George Steinbrenner in the late 70s and the early 80s, where he's got that quick hook for manager, where Yogi Berra's managed, you know, fired managing 10, 11 games. That, that doesn't happen with the Yankees. Now, I'll say this. If the Yankees do not go to the World Series this year, all options to me are on the table. All options are on the table. And I like Aaron Boone personally. I think he's an easy guy to root for. The team has not been as good since he's become the manager. They have been a far sloppier baseball team under Boone than they were under Joe Girardi. Watch them day in and day out. Proof is in the pudding. Like, my dream Yankee manager is Buck Showalter. Do I think Buck Showalter is a better manager than Aaron Boone? Yes, I do. That would be my choice. If the Yankees moved on from Aaron Boone, I want Buck managing the team. Let it come full circle. Because he's one of these guys that has the new age mindset with analytics. And he was doing it for 20 and 30 years. But he also understands that baseball and sports has to have a heartbeat. That's where the analytics drives me crazy. Yeah, there's something to be said for a guy being able to perform in the clutch. Yes, I believe in hot. I do. I think guys run hot and cold. Analytics tells me no. That's bullshit. Sorry. That's absolute Bullshit. You've been watching baseball, football, basketball. Guys getting a groove. Guys getting a comfort zone. So that's stuff I believe in. And I know Buck basically shares a lot of those similar principles. But for the time being, Aaron Boone ain't going anywhere. So he's the manager. Ask me in the offseason what I think the Yankees should do. Who's next? JJ, Brad from Hoboken. How's it going? Congrats on the ringer. All right, I got a big fucking bone to pick with Giancarlo Stanton. Tell me why this guy is in the prime of his career and he's a DH that can't fucking hit. I watched David, fat David Ortiz fucking play first base for the Red Sox when they were playing in the National League. What happens if they can make the World Series? Is Stanton just not going to play half the game? I mean, at some point, I know he gets hurt a lot, but teach the guy how to play fucking first base or something because this is getting ridiculous. He can't hit. I'm not saying he's going to be a great fielder, but I mean, the World Series, half the games the pitcher's going to hit. I mean, God willing, they fucking get there. But anyway, big fan of the show. Congrats on the ringer again. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Well, Brad, appreciate the kind words. Before we're worrying about what the Yankees are going to do when they have a lineup in the World Series, can they get there first? Holy moly, can they get there first? I mean, the Yankees are two games on the 500. I'm not worried about what my World Series lineup's going to look like. And here's the problem with Stanton. You can put him out in left field. The over-under on him getting hurt is like seven and a half games. You start sticking him out in left field, I guarantee you this, he's going to get hurt. Who's next? JJ, it's Matt God. I just want to say I hope hope our boy Aaron Hicks meets the great Derek Vineyard over on the blacktop. So I, I hope I hope Aaron meets uh, Derek. And I also want to say a shout-out to Kyrie Irving for taking, 
for taking a personal day. I'd love to go into my boss and tell him when I'm making making millions and millions of dollars to take that personal day. Tyree, enough of the bullshit. Get out there and play, you fucking clown. The Brooklyn Nets are one of the most unlikable teams I've ever seen. These guys, I don't give two flying fucks if they win a championship. They're a bunch of ass clown sissies. Fuck them. Nick, Nick fan for life. JJ, great show. Clearly, Matt is not a fan of the team that plays on Flatbush Avenue and Atlantic Avenue and the team that has probably the best title odds out of anybody in the Eastern Conference. Are they the favorites right now, I think, overall? I think they are. I think they have surpassed the Los Angeles Lakers by a smidge. Yeah, Brooklyn's an unlikable team. I'm not going to deny that. Now, would I take their roster in a heartbeat as a Knicks fan? Yeah, I would. Because that team has a chance to win a championship. Does Kyrie Irving rub me the wrong way? Absolutely. He's taken like 10 zillion personal days this year. He's making $40 million a year. It's tough to take. James Harden and the way he quit on the Eastern Rockets is tough to take. Durant, who I think is one of the three best players in the league and is a stud, does his sensitivity rub me the wrong way at times? Yeah. Like when he was going at the inside of the NBA guys, it's like, come on, dude, grow up. Sometimes they're not going to ask you the best questions. Don't take it so personally. But listen, the Nets in many ways are kind of a microcosm for what the NBA has become. You know, that's why I like the team that gets down and dirty and it gets after it. The Nets have a lot of prima donnas on their team. They're talented prima donnas. They could win an NBA championship. They're not a likable bunch. We're in agreement on that. Maybe not in the same profane way, but we're not in agreement. We are in agreement. I'm not going to be dropping 10 F-bombs on the Brooklyn Nets. Let's put it that way. Not yet, at least. Maybe if they cost me some money in the postseason, I might be feeling uh, the same way you are. Just saying, Matty. Who's next? Yo, what's up, JJ? This is Nate from Jersey and a member of Syracuse University class of 2025. Look, I know you bleed orange and, you know, you and me, I, we both do. And I just have this thought in my head of, you know, Jim Beheim, he's getting up there in age, you know, but he's probably going to be, he's going to graduate in the next couple of years. Jim might uh, follow him out the door. So I just want to get your opinion on who you think should be the next coach of Syracuse men's basketball. Is it someone already familiar with the program like Michigan and UNC did? Or is it someone from the outside? Later. Wow, that's a loaded one. That's a fun question. Very fun question, Nate. And yes, I bleed orange. I'm a Syracuse alum. I will beat a game next year, guaranteed. Hopefully, Weitzman could hook it up. He's my man. I mean, I'm not Tom Brady or Jimmy Fallon, but, you know, you want to have me for a day? I'm, I'm game. I can't wait to hang with Adam. That's going to happen at some point. I think Jerry McNamara is the guy. I think he's beloved by Q's Nation. He's been on the staff now for the last, what, six, seven years. But it's possible they go outside the program. I think it depends on what the program is doing at the time Beheim leaves. I think for these iconic programs, though, for Duke, for Carolina, it's a lot easier to go with one of your guys. So I think they'll go with one of their guys. Yeah, I'll say Jerry McNamara is the next coach at Syracuse. Who's next? What's up, John? Uh, I'm Max. I'm from Seattle, Washington. And I'm just calling to tell you that uh, the Red Sox are going to make the playoffs this year, man. We got the bats to do it for sure. And if if Erod and Sale uh, come, 
back in full effect, then no doubt we're making the playoffs. So I want you to, I want to ask you, what do you think the ceiling is for the Red Sox team this year? I think the Red Sox are better than advertised, Max. They're going to score runs. Uh, I still need to see a lot more before I'm putting them in the postseason. Can I see the Red Sox play a month, two months of quality baseball before we're talking about them in the postseason? Let's cool Jets on that a little bit. Let's cool Jets. Who's next? Yo, what up, JJ? This is Joe in Long Beach, New York. Uh, I got a betting question. I took Jules Randall, a.k.a. Polished Anthony Mason, for most improved back when it was 30-1. to 1. Since this award is pretty objective, I'm wondering if I cash it out. Uh, FanDuel's given me an option. A little more than half of what I put down for this. But I'm tentative because I love the way this dude is playing and carrying this town. So I want some advice on that. Secondly, I think that uh, the Yankees could be not making the playoffs. Would love to put that on that. Actually, you should just cut that because my rant just cut up. Later, man. Good stuff, Joe. I would cash that bet. I'll Randall at 15 to 1. Because you don't know what the voters are thinking when it comes to most improved player. You don't know what narrative they're going to be pushing. Are they all in on Jeremy Grant? They could be. I, I think Randall should get the award. I think Randall's been an absolute monster this year. But my opinion doesn't matter. I'm not a voter. I got 30 to 1. I'm not risking that there. I'm taking a win. It's a good payout. Take your money. I'm not normally a believer in hedging. I would hedge that one. And let's cool the Jets, too, on the Yankees missing the postseason. I'm down on them the first two weeks of the year. There is a long way to go. Last but not least, who's on the horn? Expert Jay, what's up? It's Alex from Newark. Cory Booker sends his, uh, his regards, as always. Here's the thing. There's nothing short and sweet about the Yankees right now. First and foremost, congratulations on the Astros. Excellent survivor pick. Couldn't have had a better one, my friend. But here's the thing with the Yankees. I mean, at what point does Cashman no longer have a lifetime contract? That's number one. It's amazing how much of a pass he gets. Someone like Tory at the end. All the credit, never blame. At some point, the GM has to go. They should be allowed to change. Mediocrity set in for the New York Yankees. The other thing, here's a little dirty secret about the core. The computer Chris's, the pig and uh, Syosset, uh They drool the birds. They drool the Severinos. They drool the seven tool hicks. Waking up when these guys play. Waking up when these guys perform. It's an absolute joke. So here's the question, expert. Who do you think's in worse shape right now? The Astros or the New York Yankees? That's a hell of a question from Alex and Noor. Hell of a question. I would say the Astros are in worse shape for this season. They just lost George Springer. They're probably going to lose Carlos Correa in free agency, and they don't have the financial wherewithal that the Yankees do. And remember, Garrett Cole's no longer on their team. Your point, though, on this Yankee core is accurate. In 2017, let's be honest, a whole lot of Yankee fans thought they had the late 90s reincarnated. This team is nowhere close to being the late 90s reincarnated. They got to win one championship. They got to get to one World Series. That team won four out of five. That team did something in baseball we will never see again. Yeah, I'm saying it. We're never going to see a team win four out of five championships. I'm confident in that take. 
You could save that one for 10, 15, 50 years down the road. It's too hard to do. Don't think you're seeing four out of five. I think the brand trust of the Yankees, call me in October. If they fall short of the World Series, I am going to be feeling the need for change. But let's see how this season shakes out. We'll come back, get Ariel Epstein's thoughts on the NFL draft props. And I got to get some help on how to handicap baseball because I sucked the other day. Oh my goodness, I was terrible. All that and more. New York, New York, right here. Ringer Podcast Network. Before we get to Ariel Epstein, we have one last voicemail. See, I thought we were all done with the voicemail regard. Eh, not so much. Who do we got? Hey, JJ, Jeff Money here. Okay, here are my picks for tomorrow, April the 16th, Friday. Uh, money play, we're going to take the Blue Jays in baseball minus the 130. We're going to go with the New York Knicks plus the five. All right, take it easy, JJ. Out of here. That's my man. That's the great Jeff Money, one of my longtime regulars, going back to my overnight days. He's got like that old school handicap and feel. And I agree with Jeff Money. It'll be Steven Max. That's right, Matt fans. Steven Max is off to a red hot start this year. And the Royals just won two in a row against the Anaheim Angels. That ain't continuing. I'll ride with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, for the Knickerbockers against the Dallas Mavericks, remember, the Kristaps Porzingis storyline comes into play. But the Knicks have been very spunky. They lost to Dallas. I would take the plus five. All right, Ariel Epstein's up next. So I figured, by the way, for our gambling portion of New York, New York, we'd welcome in one of my favorites. She's one of my longtime guests at JJ After Dark. She is the prop queen from SportsGrid. The morning after is Ariel Epstein. What's happening, Ariel? What's up, JJ? I am so excited to be here. First time on the new pod. I love the name. It couldn't be more fitting for you either. New York, New York. This is you in a nutshell. I am so pumped to be part of this. Well, Ariel, I appreciate those kind words. It works out great. New York sports, gambling, listener voicemails, and I still get to have all my pals on the show. So it's it's a whole lot of winning that's going on, Ariel, which, by the way, I am not doing because I gave out a bunch of baseball picks for the first time on Tuesday. And you know, Ariel, I cannot stand betting baseball. I got my ass whooped. It was an absolute disaster. Has there been anything that you've noticed as far as trying to handicapping the early season baseball? Anything that you'd like to share to maybe get me going? Because I have absolutely stunk. The first thing I like to look at is contrarian line movement. When you see reverse line movement in Major League Baseball, a lot of the times it's either a stay away spot or maybe you might actually go and bet the dog. Sometimes the stats actually add up. For example, I saw a ton of reverse line movement on the Detroit Tigers when they took on the Houston Astros. The narrative was there. The former manager of the Astros, A.J. Hinch, coming into Houston for the first time, now the manager of the Tigers, he knew how to beat his team. The Astros also have been dealing with some health issues and the flu. You were able to see that line movement go against Houston and in favor of Detroit. It continued to do it for all of the three games of the series. That stood out to me because the first game I decided, oh, that's reverse line movement. Casey Mize on the mound for the Tigers, an up-and-coming great young pitcher. I thought, okay, maybe that's a good game for a dog, but Houston's been so hot. And then the second game, you think to yourself, no way Houston's losing two in a row to Detroit. They do. Then the third game. No way they're getting swept by Detroit. And then they do. 
it makes you think, okay, reverse line movement, three straight games. The Sharps are seeing something that the public might not be seeing. And sometimes it's those narratives that you as the public better would say, no way Houston's going to get swept by Detroit. And then you realize, well, there you go. You thought with your heart, instead of thinking with actually what's going on with was Houston being outmatched by their former manager and also dealing with some kind of stomach bug right now. Sometimes the Sharps know those things. Hey, they were all over it. And considering I had the Astros in my eliminator three strikes, you're out pool. It looks like, Ariel, I'm going to have my first strike of the week. Unless, of course, the Astros can go and sweep the Seattle Mariners. But again, that's a story for a different day. Now, you are props. I normally don't. You are the prop queen. Individual players. Has there been a prop, a K-prop, Homer prop, something that you've been all over first two weeks of the year? I love the K-props. I know that you have my co-host from the morning after on Sports Grid, Jared Smith, on all the time. I love the morning after people. That's why. I love you, you both. I really do. Thank I you. Know. We love you guys. And I know I love the crew that we have on the morning after also. And Jared was the first one that pointed out to me about a year or two ago. He said, Ariel, I love strikeout props. They are the most profitable bet in baseball betting. So I started looking at it. Now, Jared and I collab cap all the time on K props. If our, we both, it's funny. We have two different ways of really handicapping the strikeout props. When we come together on two or three that we both agree on a lot of the times it hits. In fact, you know, you're in the right market when the sports books are very late to posting or they don't post it at all. That's why I love targeting some of these props because a lot of the times you'll get the edge, especially early in the season. Shane Bieber, a pitcher that I definitely always have my eye on his prop sometimes is never high enough. Corbin Burns, another one. I think he's one of the only pitchers in baseball to have 30 strikeouts and no walks. In addition to looking at some of these young and up and coming pitchers, Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins. He has been one of the best strikeout pitchers so far this season. In fact, if you look to spring training numbers, which is something that I wouldn't have ever done. MLB analyst Craig Mish came on our show. He works for Sports Grid as well. And the Miami Herald covers the Marlins. He said, if you look at the spring training numbers, Rodgers has been up there with all the top-notch pitchers. He was the second highest K rate in spring training behind Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. That's why you look to Rodgers, Ian Anderson of the Braves. Those are two young and up-and-coming pitchers that I love to target, but you've got to make sure that you keep your eye on Corbin Burns and Shane Bieber. Those are the two that I've really been able to profit off of so far this year. Okay, NFL draft. The last year, Ariel... We had nothing going on. And the NFL draft was like our saving grace. And I have to admit, yep, it was the first year I felt like I was diving into the draft the way I would a football Sunday, yep. the way I would March Madness. I felt like I was just like taking way too many props. And thankfully, I did pretty well. I went with my gut on a couple of them. I kind of played the mock drafts and the lines and all of that stuff into play. Is there one takeaway you have from last year as far as handicapping. I know it sounds crazy to say, but yes, handicapping the NFL draft. You have to buy in now or next week. If you buy in the week of the draft, you're crazy. So get in now is what you're saying. If you like something and you see a number you like, don't wait until the week before the draft. Get it now. Correct. Last year, what changed the line so drastically and in the wrong direction was the narratives and all of the smoke screens that these teams put up about a week before the draft. The team's 
all are driven by these storylines. We were talking about it today, Jared and I, we were talking about how the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, went to go watch Justin Fields play at his second pro day at Ohio State. The first pro day was the same day as Alabama. Shanahan went to Mac Jones pro day first. That's why Ohio State had to do a second pro day so that Fields was able to get some of the coaches that went to Alabama first. Who knows? That could be a smokescreen that, of course, it's doing your due diligence. But if that was in a week or two from now and you start to hear these rumblings from around storylines in the NFL draft, it's going to move the odds. Storylines drove these odds crazy last year. The only thing that's different from last year, as you mentioned, JJ, is we don't have that being our focal point. That's not the only thing that we're going to be worrying about this year as it was last year where everyone was betting the draft this year. You still got the NBA on, you've got major league baseball, you've got hockey. I don't think it's going to be as highly bet, but I still think that the marketplace is out there. You just have to go and bet it now or bet it next week because the week of the draft, the odds are going to shift like crazy. Okay. Ariel, who are we betting to be the third pick in the draft? Because listen, you know, Lawrence is going one. You know that Zach Wilson is probably going to. I see Justin Fields under three and a half at minus 105. I see Mac Jones under three and a half at plus 130. Should I be reading into that or not really? Oh, did that move? Now well, I, I think it depends on what you're looking. I'm seeing it right now at plus 130. That's the uh, number that I see. Okay, so I see over, yeah, so on FanDuel, over three and a half, Justin Fields, plus 128, minus 150. Wow, that really moved. So the way that that moved is because Mac Jones, who, by the way, is not up on the FanDuel sportsbook right now for his draft position, which is very strange. I don't know what happened there. I'm going to have to look into that. Might be some uh, some information changing, Ariel, that the odds makers want to adjust to. It's potentially a possibility. And now right? Justin Fields has surpassed Mac Jones to be the number three overall pick in the draft at minus You think that's because of the pro day? That might be because of the pro day, Ariel, if we're thinking about it, right? It was a second one. Again, this is all narrative driven. So this morning, we had this conversation this morning and the odds didn't shift like this. It just changed today as we're recording this in the last, I don't know, six hours since I did my show. Mac Jones was favored. Mac Jones also had movement in his favor to go to the under at three and a half, meaning he'd be the third pick in the draft. And now we're seeing movement. JJ, I'm going to have to do some digging into this because that was a huge flip. It was Mac Jones all along going as that third pick in the draft, according to the odds. I know that you mentioned the pro day, but to me, I thought it was interesting because as I said earlier, Alabama had the same pro day as Ohio State the first time around. That made more sense as to why Ohio State was having a second pro day in case a lot of these players didn't get the looks because they were in Alabama. Now seeing this, what? I mean, pro day to me, JJ, always makes players look good. Justin Fields looked good in his first pro day. He had a 65-yard bomb. He ran a 4-4-3-40. Justin Fields looked good. What did he run a, a three? Like, did he run a three second 40? What did he do in the last 24 hours that made him surpass Mac Jones? I, I don't know. I have to do some digging. Fair enough. Kyle Pitts, everybody's man crush right now. Yeah. Fair to say. Everybody, everybody I talk to going through the draft process, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts. Under five and a half, Ariel. How do we feel about that? I think an offensive lineman is going to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals just picked up a receiver from L a former LSU wide receiver to go outside uh, Joe Burrow. So I don't think, I don't think that we are going to see a tight end go in the top five. 
I can't even remember. So you don't the last think Atlanta? Time. You think Atlanta goes quarterback? You don't think Atlanta is going to take Pitts? Yeah, I don't think that they're going to take Pitts. They already had Hayden Hurst that they picked up in a trade. And I mean, maybe they don't like Hurst and maybe they want a second tight end because that's been the way of the future for the NFL. We've seen so many two tight end sets running in the NFL so far in the last two years. Maybe, but I think that Atlanta really needs a quarterback. I think that they need someone to push Matt Ryan, even though it's not Matt Ryan's fault that this team has been struggling. It's been the defense for Atlanta since they've, of course, been the team that we all know to give up all, uh, what, 20, 30 points in the last quarter of a game. I do think that Kyle Pitts over five and a half has some value because it's in plus money at plus 104. But you're right. I mean, everything is going to be what either Atlanta or Cincinnati does. I think Cincinnati needs an offensive lineman. I think Atlanta needs more help than they really do in the receiving core. Atlanta already has Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst. That's not the problem in Atlanta. The problem is getting the job done in the fourth quarter and not letting your defense give up 20 points to the opposition. I think they need to focus defense, even though they'll probably go offensive side of the ball. They need to focus defense, maybe get offensive linemen. But to me, Atlanta does not need another receiver in the top five of the draft. They need someone else. And Kyle Pitts could go after that fifth pick to someone else. Okay, Ariel, give me your favorite draft prop right now that you see on the board. Favorite one. The one I'll have to give you is the one that I placed, and that was Devontae Smith under 11 and a half for his draft position, just to minus 122 right now on FanDuel to hit that under. This is going to be such a wide receiver heavy draft. I think that you're going to see Smith go earlier than the 12th pick. Ariel Epstein, morning after, um, rock star in the gambling community, and Ariel, hopefully... I could come on the show the next time and be giddy about my New York Yankees because I gave them out as a play on Wednesday. And I did not expect I, you to go there. They're yeah, almost Baltimore naturally. to me. Yeah, but you know what, though? Normally, I am like trying to think with a level head when I'm gambling. I don't right. like to bet with my heart. I did expect the Yankees to win. The line was moving with them, you know, even though Cooper hadn't been great. Ariel, next Your time I come scratched. on. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Stripling got scratched and the Yankees didn't score for four innings. So naturally, naturally. Thank you for a couple of minutes. Continued success. And don't be a stranger. I know you'll be a part of the show sooner rather than later. I love it. Nothing more fitting than New York, New York with us key scrads. There you have it. That's Ariel Epstein over at Sports Grid in the morning after. Fun edition of New York, New York. Remember, listener voicemails. You want to get them my way. It is the way to get in touch with the show. You guys have done a phenomenal job of getting in touch with the show. So 917-382-1151 for Sunday night. That's 917-382-1151. We'll have John Flaherty joining us, and we'll have a whole weekend to react to. Yankees, Mets, all the basketball. Moving closer and closer to the draft. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. JJ out. Be good.